0: Hello there and welcome to the SLP Now podcast where we share practical therapy tips and ideas for busy speech language pathologists. Grab your favorite beverage and sit back as we dive into this week's episode. Hey there, it's Marisha from SLP Now and welcome to the SLP Now podcast. Today we are continuing the discussion about literacy-based therapy and today we're focusing on grammar, which is a super exhilarating topic. We all love grammar, and we're talking about grammar for older students, which is even more exhilarating because we're moving beyond the typical kind of pronouns, verbs, like irregular plural nouns, those kinds of things, and jumping into more complex syntax and, all of the things related to that, so I cannot wait to dive in. Um, and what we're going to do today is we'll talk about the um, different types of targets that we might look at when we're working with older students, um, and we'll map that onto the framework that I presented two episodes ago. And we're going to move through things in the same way as we did in the last episode, thirty-four. Um, it, Except last time was for earlier goals, like the things that I just mentioned, those plural nouns, past tense verbs, pronouns, all that good stuff. And we're diving into how to do these with older students. So if you want a refresher, definitely head to episode 33 for an... An overview of all things grammar. Um, Head to episode 34 if you want the nitty gritty specifics for those earlier goals. And stay tuned if you're feeling good about the basics of grammar intervention and you just want to dive into all things grammar and syntax. Super fun. So um, before we dive into all of the strategies, I just wanted to make sure that we're on the same page in terms of some of the things we could potentially target and what those things are. Um, I I kind of enjoy grammar and learning about it. I had an English teacher um, in high school who had us diagram all the sentences, um, and I got pretty good at it, and I like understand all of those different elements, um, but I know that's not everyone's cup of tea, so I'll just kind of share what we would need to know to be able to help our students. Um, And then you're aware of what types of targets make sense. So one that I think we're all pretty comfortable with um, is just compound and complex sentences. Um, So just a quick recap of a compound sentence. A compound sentence just contains two sentences, and we join them together um, with a coordinating conjunction. Um, and then there's a nice little um, acronym that we can use, and it's fanboys. So F A N B O Y S. Um, and that stands, that helps us remember all the different coordinating conjunctions. So for, and, nor, but, or, yet, so. Um, so that one's pretty simple. Compound sentence, check, we've got that down. Uh, compl- Complex sentences are a little bit more complicated, um, and they so we have an independent clause, which includes a subject and a verb, and then we also have a dependent clause, which includes a subordinating conjunction, the subject, and the verb. Um, So it's just a little bit more, I mean, the sentence can be like the same length, but it's just a little bit more complex in terms of understanding it. And so there we go. So we've got compound sentences, which just combine two sentences with a coordinating conjunction. And then complex sentences include an independent and a dependent clause that are put together. Um, And the dependent clause has a subordinating conjunction. So there is a handful of subordinating conjunctions, but some examples are after, since, that, until, when, which, where, while, if, before, because, all of those good ones. Um, so that's what we've got for our complex sentences. So those are pretty simple. Um, when I'm introducing these to students, um, I always use a visual um, and it's my visuals are in the SLP now membership but you can find lots of ideas and inspiration online um, I like using paper clips to help students put together sentences we might just rip up some pieces of papers or uh, use some note cards or whatnot and then um, you can even get fancy and like color code them and add different labels to the paper clips um, but I usually just have, Um, if I have colored paper clips, or I'll just grab a regular one and like draw on it with marker so that it's quote unquote color coded. Um, And then we'll use that to start putting those sentences together. Um, And the visuals that I created make that really easy. um, And that ends up working really well. So those are pretty simple to introduce to students and to start practicing. We'll talk about more of the nitty gritty in terms of all five steps of the framework and what we would do within each of the steps. Um, but hopefully we're on the same page with compound and complex sentences. The next thing that we might target um, is the passive voice. Um, so this is a little bit funky. I know that all of my teachers would say not to write in the passive voice, but a lot of texts use the passive voice and are It can be kind of tricky for our students to understand that because it's just a little bit of a different sentence structure and one that we don't always use in conversation. Um, So I think it's helpful to break that down um, and have that be a little bit clearer for our students. Um, So what is the passive voice? It's when the object becomes the subject of the sentence. So Um, I could say, um, like, I could say, someone stole my laptop. That's how we would typically say it. That is the active voice. But we don't know who that someone is. So we could flip it and make my laptop the subject of the sentence. And we could say, my laptop was stolen. So the subject of the original sentence is just left off. Um, So it makes sense that that can get a little bit confusing for our students, like I said, because it switches things up, and um, we can use it to emphasize the action or the verb or if we don't know who or what the subject is. And it's in a lot of different texts. And so that's just something that we might want to break down for our students because it shows up a lot, especially when it comes to, like, textbooks and nonfiction texts. Um, So and that can trip them up. And that'll be something that we can address with our students. Uh, The next thing that we're going to talk about. So we've got compound complex sentences. Check. Passive voice. Check. Check. And next on the list is adverbial clauses. So with adverbial clauses, um, it's, so it's, again, a clause is a group of words, and an adverbial clause, no surprise, um, acts as the, or it plays the role of an adverb. So, um, like, instead of, um, like, Um, I go to the store daily. That daily is that um, just a regular adverb. Um, But if we want to change daily into an adverbial clause, we can say like, I go to the store when my mom tells me to. So when my mom tells me to becomes that adverbial clause. Um, And that's something that we can um, help teach our students because our students will tend to create simpler sentences um, and that can also, again, like we talked about before, that can also impact their comprehension. Um, So by teaching them these structures and modeling them to the students, having them create sentences and, like, experimenting with these different structures. Um, and then also when we come across them in a text, breaking them down and understanding them, those can help students, like, it'll enrich their writing, their their ability to, like, describe and explain. Um, because if we have very limited um, syntax, and if we're only creating those very simple sentences, it definitely does impact our ability to explain things that are a little bit more um, complex, potentially. Uh, So that's kind of why, like, because you might be thinking, why in the world? Like, I don't even know what an adverbial clause is. Why in the world would I target that? Um, But that's why. And you definitely do know what an adverbial clause is. You use it all the time. Um, It's just something that we... um, just can break down a little bit for our students. So we've got that one down and we are on the last one. So we've got a relative clause. Um, and this is sometimes also, this is called an adjective or adjectival, I think is how you say that clause. Um, so that's in contrast to the adverbial clause. Um, so it makes sense that a relative or adjective clause is, um, functions as the adjective. An adverbial clause functions as the adverb. The relative slash adjective clause functions as an adjective in a sentence. Um, and, oh, just backing up a second too. With clauses, um, all clauses contain a subject and a verb. Um, and the relative clause begins with a relative pronoun. So who, whom, whose, that which, um, or a relative adverb, when, where, why. While a relative clause typically starts with a relative pronoun or a relative adverb, an adverbial clause typically starts with a subordinating conjunction, um, and there is some overlap here between the relative pronoun and relative adverb, as well as subordinating conjunctions, some fit into um, both categories there. So um, what we want to do is really look at the function of the clause. So the relative clause functions as the adjective, and the adverbial clause functions as the adverb. And that is the main difference there because they're both clauses, they both have subjects and verbs, um, and there might be some overlap in the like pronouns, conjunctions that we see popping up there. Um, So that's really what we want to be looking at when we are um, distinguishing those different types of clauses. But targeting either of them will help our students, again, like I said before, um, like increase the complexity of their own language, um, but then also being able to understand. Because if there's, there can be, sentences with multiple clauses in them. And this is often, we see this, like we might have a sentence with passive voice and multiple clauses embedded, and it can get really tricky to understand. Um, And it'd be a shame if it's just syntax holding back our students, if they're um, like, if they're building that vocabulary and getting all of those skills, um, we don't want syntax to be that barrier. So it's something that we can do to support our students um, and help improve their writing and all of that good stuff. So that is our quick recap. We got that wasn't too painful. We got to go through all of this different structures. So um, compound complex sentences, passive voice, adverbial clauses, and relative clauses. Those are the five things that I typically focus on when I'm working on more complex or later develop like grammar goals with older students um, or students and this can even start um, earlier in elementary school depending on where the students are Um, like if we're working on describing um, it might make sense to work on some relative clauses um, because then they'll be able to use their describing words and all of that so there are different examples on how to make that work Um, And also like compound complex sentences, that's something that we can often work on. Um, So that's what we've got. And I want to jump back into the framework that we talked about in episode 35. Um, And if, again, like I said, or episode 33. Um, And like I said before, um, definitely revisit that episode if you want a more thorough overview of why we even want to target grammar goals and context, like why, and why even target these types of skills, um, and we did touch on that a little bit today. Um, and then if you want a more thorough overview of the framework and kind of stepping back into the research and theory behind it, definitely check out episode 33. But today we'll do kind of a quicker run through of the different steps of the framework and just talk about how we can make that happen. So just to recap those five steps um, so you have an idea of what we're working through. The first step is assessment. Um, and again, I would recommend going th- to episode 33 for a more thorough overview of that. A lot of the things that we talked about will apply and you can use those. Um, and just a quick recap, like you'll want to use la- like language samples, writing samples, whatever you can get from the classroom um, and you could potentially look at like their comprehension and seeing if the syntax helps with that, all that good stuff. Um, and then step two is teaching. Step three is focused stimulation. Step four is structured practice. And step five is embedded practice. So we're since we did a lot on step one assessment in episode 33, we are going to jump into step two. So, this is, um, this will really depend on the skill that we're talking about. But I always, especially when we're talking about grammar, it can get a little bit confusing if we're trying to describe all of these things to students. And so I think pairing this with visuals is incredibly helpful. So the example that I gave for compound and complex sentences, like using those different um, like note cards, color-coded paper clips, that kind of stuff, having that match up with a visual is really helpful. Like for me, I make compound sentences green, complex sentences are red, um, and like the conjunctions are those colors. And then that just helps us make those sentences. Um, And then I do the same thing for just to introduce the relative and adverbial clause and the passive voice. Um, I just have a visual that shows like how the different pieces move and what they mean. And that makes a world of a difference. And I love using a visual because one, it makes it less confusing and we're not doing quite as much talking around things and, like, just talking about grammar can be very confusing. Um, And then having that visual, it allows us to do less talking. Um, It makes it easier for the student to process. And then it's also really easy to refer to when we're doing different activities. Um, So, and the cool thing is, too, a visual can go with a student. So they can take it to class with them if they um, like if they're going to resource room as well and they're writing a paper they can use those visuals um, when they're writing their essays or whatever it may be and so it just increases like we can give the student independence a little bit more quickly by giving them those visuals and that's a huge component of my teaching and I try I keep it as simple as possible and I just work My strategy is to give a simple explanation, kind of like I did when I was recapping the different grammar structures with you. I just keep it as simple as that and even simpler if I can and just give them like the nitty gritty of what they need to know. Um, And then I just make sure that they can see all the different examples of like relative pronouns and adverbs. And I don't focus too, too much on the terminology around it. Um, I just kind of give them that recipe and then we'll use the rest like they don't have to know that it's a relative pronoun per se, but I give them the recipe um, so that like the visual recipe of like what the different conjunctions are or whatnot um, and then we work to create those sentences. So not a whole lot of terminology around that. Um, and it's just a lot of functional practice with it. so we'll get the recipe. And then we'll start making sentences Um, and we'll start with things that are really relevant to them, like talking about the cafeteria or their classes or whatever movie they're excited about or TV show or game or just whatever will capture their interest, something that they really understand well so that they can wrap their head around those structures And then once we kind of get some good introductions there, that's when we can dive into um, the next steps. But I always take some time to just introduce that concept, uh, give them just like a little primer, and just highlight the grammatical forms that we're going to be working on. Um, Yeah, and that ends up being just like five to ten minutes before we dive into an activity. Um, And then just focusing on the, and I like to just focus on one form at a time. I think that's a little easier. Um, And then we just learn by doing, like I said, following that recipe and putting that together. Um, So that is step two. Um, And then for step three, we'll do some focus stimulation. Um, And then one caveat here too, like you know your students best. So Um, Some students might benefit just from some focus stimulation before you even try to explain it. Um, Some students, it makes sense to like teach it before you do the focus stimulation. I feel like these two kind of go hand in hand at some times. Uh, So yeah, it doesn't have to be a linear process and you can use your clinical judgment to see what makes sense. So. Quick recap of what focus stimulation is: It's when we provide frequent models and recasts in a variety of activities. So, when we model something, we hi- highlight the feature naturally in conversation. When we um, provide a recast, it's when we correct what correct or modify what the child says. So, if the student um, produces just a simple sentence, um, or maybe two simple sentences. We can connect those with a subordinating conjunction, like we can recast it at a subordinating conjunction and kind of recast that into a complex sentence and then just continuing to do that, giving them examples of what they're saying in conversation as they're talking about the weekend, as they're talking about a class that they're frustrated with, whatever it may be. Uh, We can kind of embed that in our conversation or when we're talking about a text or doing any other therapy activity. Um, So if we're reading a fiction text or a nonfiction article, um, I can dive into some of those examples, like as they're answering comprehension questions. I'll model when I'm talking about the text, I'll model those, whatever target structures we're focusing on. And then I can also recast their answers to whatever structure we're focusing on. So this sounds super similar to last week because it's the exact same thing. Um, that strategy um, can still be incredibly helpful. So then um, we want to give students enough op- exposure to the targets before we start expecting them to produce um, those sentences on their own. Um, And it's really a matter of clinical judgment in terms of how much time we spend on that teaching and the focus stimulation. Um, Some students are going to need more of that um, structured practice than others, um, but we want to always be thinking about moving on to step five. So, we're talking about some really specific drill based things that we can do, but we want to move into the embedded practice as quickly as possible. So, three things that we can do there are one, modeling combined with production, two, is imitating contrasting sentences, and three, is combining sentences. Um, So with the first step, modeling combined with production, um, this is when we, it's just taking that uh, focus stimulation to the next level. We model a structure and then prompt the student to produce or repeat it after us or imitate. Um, And then, This can be helpful, but there is limited evidence for generalization. It might be a good first step just to kind of like move a little bit away from just the focus stimulation and get them to talk through it a little bit more. And I find that a lot of my students end up automatically imitating my recasts and my models um, because they know (laughs) what we're doing. And sometimes like it even works with younger students, they just naturally... Uh, recast my recast or recast my model um, so that is super interesting to see how that works um, but then the next thing that we can do is imitate contrasting sentences um, so this can be interesting because um, I most often use this for the simpler structures but um, you can check out the Connell 1982 article that works through a step-by-step training procedure. Um, but you can also use this if you're working on, um, like, you could have, con. I mean, there's unlimited options. You could have contrasting sentences with different conjunctions and changing the meaning of what the sentence means. Um, like, uh, f- yeah, so many different ideas there. And I think... I believe that Connell, nineteen eighty-two, gives some different examples of the not the more complex things that we can do with that. Um, but yeah, that's a really fun strategy that we can use there. Um, and then another thing that we can do is combining sentences, which is really helpful when we're talking about compound, complex sentences, relative pronouns, adverbial or relative clauses and adverbial clauses, um, because by combining sentences, um, we are using clauses, which is what all of those things are. So we can give students two or more sentences, and sometimes I'll just, like, we can even cut up an article and have them combine the sentences in the article Um, And sometimes we'll just copy and paste it into a Word document and find ways to put them together. And so that's a way to, like, connect with what we're reading in the text. Or we can take the student's responses and go from there. Um, And there's two types of combining. We can do cued combining where um, we provide this, like we underline the components that the student needs to combine and give them whatever they need to combine that sentence, whether it's like the conjunction, the relative pronoun, whatnot. Um, so that is kind of a, a step, like a scaffolded step. But then uh, we can also do open combining where we don't give them specific instructions. We just give them two sentences and prompt the student to combine them. Um, so those are some fun strategies that we can use to work on some of those different skills another bonus activity that i think is really fun when we're working on these different types of clauses is sentence expansion Um, so we can just prompt students like we can take a sentence out of a text and expand it and some students can have a lot of fun like sometimes they'll do challenges to see who can come up with like the longest sentence that's still grammatically correct and makes sense. And um, we can just do different games with that. Um, But yeah, we can just pull a simple sentence from the article and then um, add whatever types of clauses that we're using to increase the complexity and the length of that sentence. So if we're working on like adverbial clauses, we can say, I saw the dog run. And then we can add different adverbial clauses to help clarify that picture of what the dog looks like when he's running or what, how the dog is running, rather. Um, so those are just some fun activities that we can do um, when it comes to the drill practice. Um, and it's, you don't, really need a ton of materials. Once you have those visuals, um, it's really easy for students to understand what they're supposed to be doing. Um, And we can make it fun by um, just grabbing a dry erase marker and writing the sentence on the table or letting them draw on the whiteboard or letting them type on the tablet or um, letting them write the sentence in smelly marker or whatever it may be. There's a lot of different ways that we can make this more fun and interesting. I also, like I mentioned this a lot, but there's some iPad apps that I really enjoy too. um, Like, and this even works with older students. We can take pictures of, or we can grab pictures from Google of like their favorite celebrities or TV show characters or whatever it may be. And as a reward for writing their complex sentence or whatever structure we're targeting, they get to read that sentence out loud. And with chatter pics, when you record someone's voice, it plays it back to you. And it looks like like you just it moves the mouth of the image that you imported. So it looks like your favorite movie character um, is saying that sentence. And they get a great they get a big kick out of that. It keeps them engaged. It keep, and then they're getting more exposure to those structures. Um, so that's one of a really fun way to kind of get in that practice in a fun and engaging way. So, and then you can even like switch between characters. Like there are so many options. It's so fun. Um, so that's what we do for step four when we're doing more of that structured practice. And like I said. Um, it can make a lot of sense to um, just like pull sentences from the article. If that's still too confusing, we can just create sentences based on what, they're, what they know, what their responses to questions, whatever it may be. Um, but then once we give them enough um, exposure and like the purpose of the Drill based practice is just to highlight and prime those linguistic features, and then we want to immediately incorporate them into the embedded activities, which we will dive into now. By using sentences from a reading passage, we're like we can still do drill based practice, but we're moving towards more embedded because once we do that, we can have students respond to questions using their clauses. We can have them um retell the story or summarize the article using their target structures. And that helps us get towards that more embedded practice. Um, and so yeah, like comprehension activities are a huge one. The retell and any just any discussion around the story, any communication that we're doing, we get to embed the skills that we've been targeting throughout the entire unit. Um, And like I said, that retell uh, summarizing component is one of my favorites. And I like to have um, with older students, we don't do quite as many like traditional parallel stories where we're creating a book. Um, Some students are very interested in that, Um, but with them, I like to do some things that involve more media, because that gets them very excited. So we can like write a newscast and record that. Um, And that's a very, like they'll be giving presentations in their classes. So that's a worthwhile skill to practice. Um, So we can generate that summary and then deliver the summary pretending to be a newscaster. Or a lot of them want to be YouTubers. So we can um, kind of look at their favorite styles and um, incorporate some of that while using their sentence structures related to what the text that we're talking about. So we're probably not going to um, like I want to be educationally relevant so we might not be talking about like the coolest new clothes or whatever uh, those YouTubers talk about or like whatever stunts they're playing but if it's related to article that we're discussing and if it's related to what they're working on in the classroom um, then we're golden and we're good to go so that's how we do that Um, and then just a recap these steps are not linear we will Sometimes, like we'll move back and forth between these steps, and it's not always one, two, three, four, five. Sometimes it's like one, two, four, three, five, six, eight, or not six because that's not a step. Um, but you kind of get the idea. It you use your clinical judgment and to get a feel for where the students are, but don't forget to teach, um, because otherwise this will be incredibly frustrating. Visuals are huge and so incredibly helpful, and. Definitely check out the, I'll put the citations um, in the show notes at slpnow.com slash 35. But do check out those articles because they help map out these things in such a detailed way. Um, And it gives you like a protocol on how to implement this. Um, So I will work on putting together some more specific examples, but if you're wanting to apply this to your caseload, definitely check out those articles um, and double-check me on the research, too. Um, Maybe there's something different out there or just a different interpretation. So um, I just think going to the source is incredibly helpful. Um, So a quick recap of the steps that we talked about. We start with assessment. And again, head to episode 33 to see more of the specifics. Step two is teaching. Step three is focused stimulation. Step four is structured practice. And step five is embedded practice. Um, So that's what we've got going on. And um, I'll just give some examples of how we can apply this to an example unit. So... I make, because um, I don't always have time to dive into any, like all of the articles that our students are using, um, and we can pull from just about anything when we're looking for materials within these literacy-based therapy units. So we can use a social studies textbook, a science textbook, we can use whatever like we can use excerpts from books that they're reading in English or, um, yeah, any literature is fair game. Um, but one of my favorite time-saving strategies, because it is challenging, especially in a secondary setting, to connect with all of the teachers and to know what they're doing at all times and to figure out where they are in a text, is if they're reading a book as a unit, it can be a little bit frustrating, like if because it takes us several sessions to work through even just a couple paragraphs in a book, and the goal is not to keep up with what the teachers are doing in the classroom. Um, the goal is to go beyond that, um, because we are speech language pathologists and not tutors, um, and so we're really diving into a text to help give a student more exposure. So, um. Like, personally, I found I found that to be a little tricky because the students get frustrated. Like, why are we working on this small part of chapter one? We're already on chapter five. Like, why are we going? And it just gets a little bit frustrating. So I like to try if I'm working with like the English teacher, I might just find out what book they're reading and find articles related to that to help build their background knowledge and schema around those things. Um, And if they're reading articles, I'll definitely use those if I can grab them. Um, But I find that it's Sometimes it makes it easier to implement if we can just like the teacher can easily tell us we're learning about X, Y, and Z this semester. And we can just find things to support that. Um, But, I mean, we can always use what they're using in the classroom as well. But what I ended up doing for my own sanity was I grabbed a bunch of articles. I love using ReadWorks personally. So I grabbed a bunch of articles from there and I tried to kind of fill in the, grab articles that I knew um, included topics that a lot of my students would be covering in their classrooms. Um, And then I made, like, cheat sheets and activities to go with those articles. Um, And it's been, like, absolutely amazing. Um, I just have, like, I keep the unit in, um, like, I mean, it's all on my digital, like, therapy planner in SLP now. Um, But I started just printing out some of the materials um, to prep for the week. And then I just ended up keeping the folders. And it's amazing because I have like a little cheat sheet that I use and then I put some different activities in there and um, it's just in a poly folder and I use paper clips to organize the different sets of papers um, and then a quick cheat I always mention this but if you want to keep make sure you're like you don't use up your original you can mark like a big x in yellow highlighter and then um then you'll know not to give that one away. And if you run it to the copy machine, it won't pick up the yellow highlighter, which is super cool. Um, So yeah, I just keep that bundle. And then I found myself like, oh, man, I need a therapy activity. And then I can just grab that. And it gives me everything that I need for that unit. um, In addition to like the grammar visuals that I have ready to go as well as like vocabulary and whatever else I might need to teach the concepts. But I have everything that I need for like the structured practice and the embedded practice within that little folder. Um, and the cheat sheets really help because um, I pull all of the different grammar structures out. It can be a little bit overwhelming to try and find all of the like is this a good, like? Will this article give us enough examples of adverbial clauses that we can kind of pull apart and start to understand, or, um, or whatever structure we're working on? Um, and so, this can help us. Like, does what coordinating conjunctions does this article have, or which co- subordinating conjunctions? And it just gives me a quick memory jog too, on um, what I might want to do. So. That's what we do. Um, And then I just grab the cheat sheet. It helps me figure out which targets we want to focus on based on the student's goals. And then we follow that framework that we talked about, um, like the one, two, three, four, five for grammar, and embed that into the whole unit. So, um, one example, like I just pulled up uh, the cheat sheet for an article called snow day fever and this is from Reedworks as well um and it's a fiction article about a boy who has a fever on snow day or on a snow day um and he really wants to play outside so he tricks his mom um and so that like he puts the thermometer in a a glass of ice (laughs) to get his temperature to go down and obviously that didn't work out so well um but it's a really nice article. It can, it's, um, it's relevant if we're having lots of snow days or the students are learning about weather or whatever it may be. This is one that I typically use. Um, like I think it was written at a third grade reading level. So it can be used with like later elementary, um, secondary students, um, and it's a fiction article. So it's great for story grammar, and all of those other types of things, lots and lots of vocabulary. Um, But because we're focusing on grammar, when I look at the cheat sheet for snow day fever, um, I can quickly see which pronouns we have, um, whether there's, and there's one example of an irregular plural noun, tons and tons of irregular past tense verbs. um, And then we have a couple of conjunctions, a handful of subordinating conjunctions, and we've got some adverbial clauses, relative clauses. And so having this at a glance, um, I can just quickly look at my students' goals and figure out which targets I want to focus on um, given what's in the text. Um, And then we may target all of them throughout the unit, um, but it just helps me prioritize for that session. And then when we're in the, so it depends on which stage of the literacy-based therapy framework we're in. Um, But if we're doing the pre-story knowledge activation, that's step one. Um, I'm primarily focusing on, like, we'll be discussing, um, like, well, each article has, like, a pre-story knowledge activation sheet. So we'll be discussing some of those questions. Like, have you ever had a snow day? What do you do on a snow day? What's like, do you think we should have snow days? And all of those different things, we're discussing that. And then I'm being very strategic. I'm modeling the structures. I'm recasting. And we're focusing on the grammar that way. So that's that focus stimulation. Um, and then teaching, we get to decide at what stage we do that. And then um, then step two of the literacy-based therapy framework is when we read the text Um, So I might just emphasize some of the structures like, oh, this is a adverbial clause. It tells me more about blah, blah. So I can embed some of that if that makes sense. Um, And then step three is comprehension activities. So again, I'm recasting. I could, depending on where the students are with the skill, I can listen for them (laughs) to use those skills um, in their responses to the questions and all of that good stuff. Then, um, yeah, and if they're not quite there yet, then I will continue to provide focus stimulation so that when we get to step four, which is that skill practice, then they'll be ready for like my um, imitating contrastive sentences, creating their own sentences, whatever it may be. Um, And the cool thing with these activities, if you have the visual and you have the targets, all you really need is a blank piece of paper or a whiteboard, just anything for the student to write on, or a recording device if you wanted to have verbal sentences. Um, one other really fun thing that students love is voice-to-text, so they get to produce their sentence, and then they get to see it show up on the computer or the tablet whatever your phone, whatever you're using. And then that's a great way to get immediate feedback and look at the sentence and see um, if that makes sense, and if we can expand on it or whatever that may be. Um, so that's something that we can do if we're working on expanding their sentences um, or we can um, I can just pull together some quick, contrasting sentences um, for them to imitate or whatever the exercise is. That's what we do in step four and we di- we really dive into all of those specific structures. And put all of that together. And then we continue to do that with the embedded practice where we're responding to questions and all of that. Um, and yeah, I've got all of my targets here. I have my visuals ready to go. So I'm ready to tackle the unit because um, I've got my evidence-based strategies in my pocket. Because you are your best therapy tool. Um, and so armed with these strategies and a couple simple materials and resources, like you're ready to rock your grammar intervention. Um, So yeah, that's what we've got. Let me know if you have any questions. Um, I will share some videos and just like a example in the live course. Um, And then yeah, let me know if you're interested in checking that out. And yeah, we're good to go. So if you're here live, stay tuned for the video. If not, I will see you next week and we'll continue talking about all things literacy-based therapy. So thank you. Thanks for listening to the SLP Now podcast. This podcast is part of a course offered for continuing education through speech therapy PD. So yes, you can earn ASHA CEUs for listening to this podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please share with your SLP friends and don't forget to subscribe to the podcast to get the latest episodes sent directly to you. See you next time.